What's up, everybody? LibUX is a podcast about design and user experience for libraries in the higher ed web. I am Michael. I'm Amanda. This week, we read a super interesting article by Ben Thompson on stratickery.com called The Thing Playbook. And the question that we want to ask is, what can libraries learn from it? Amanda, can you describe what FANG is? So FANG is an acronym that he, he's using, and he got it from someone else. It stands for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. And the article opens up with him talking about how these four companies are dominating in their sectors, and while the rest of the stock market is having you know ups and down stuff, these four tend to be pretty stable, if not rising sometimes. What he's going on to say is what makes them so successful is that they're all playing from the exact same playbook. Right, and that playbook is like fairly straightforward. He's not talking about their their deep philosophies, their deep organizational systems, but he's talking about something which at the service seems pretty similar to the kind of space that libraries occupy, the kind of services that libraries provide. What he writes is that basically their success is because each of them, and for the record, Fang isn't just those companies. Fang represents companies of that type. So we're also talking about Uber and so on. What he's talking about is that these companies control the entry point for customers into the category that they're competing in. They didn't create the market they're in. Facebook wasn't the first social network. Um, Google wasn't the first search engine. Uber wasn't the first whatever, <laughs> a rideshare service. But what they control is really the entry point into that. They simply made the things that users want easier to access. And kind of by dint of supplying that the easiest way, by having really like the most pleasant user experience by being like the thinnest layer between what the user wants and what the user gets, they first kind of like aggregate all those users. So they become like the entry point for, you know, when you think of social network, you think of Facebook and kind of by dint of being that entry point, they exert their control over those consumers. So I have an example here, kind of. So if you're thinking about Google, when it first appeared, very first search engine that I ever used was AltaVista back in about 1999. And I don't know if you ever used that one. AltaVista? Yeah, AltaVista had um, Babelfish. Yeah, but you know, like the interface was like really cluttered. And when you were trying to search for something, I had no idea about the internet. I was very confused. What am I supposed to be clicking on? What is this? And of course, Yahoo was a entirely other mess with the directory. <laughs> but... Then comes along Google, clean interface, just that simple search box, and I was like, oh, I don't have to think about this, and I don't need to like look in my teen magazine to write down gurl.com. I can just type in <laughs> girl and get my <laughs> get my email. Or you know what was what was what even predated that, right? Um, remember, um, oh, the AOL keyword is entertainment. <laughs> I never had AOL. We oh were better than that. <laughs> um, the, so no, so that's what you just said is the point. So like, um, this uh, lends into something else that Ben Thompson created that I jumped on. 
big time when it came out a few months ago. This uh, concept called aggregation theory, which um, blah, blah, blah. We're not going to talk about it big time, but basically suggest that uh, in the 21st century where, I guess in terms of like digital services, distribution is free because of the internet. The companies that grow to like, monopolize to like to the companies that grow to real success they're not dominating supply and demand they dominate supply and the user experience so the entry point that like like what what services provide is like almost pretty similar so where where the companies compete is at the user experience level so the company that has the best one wins and so that's what he's saying that you know this this these fang companies like the fang playbook starts at they have a supremely better user experience they become the place that all the users go and then in so doing they exert their control over the expectations users have of everything. So the immediate example is Facebook is really quite fast. Facebook is fast on the phone. When you like scroll through your newsfeed, things happen quickly. It wasn't until like not too long ago when you clicked a link and you followed it to someone's mobile site, it was really, really slow, even if it was mobile friendly. You know, the the, the speed of Facebook, the, the Facebook as a gateway providing the convention of just being fast, the expectation that all sites that are accessed through Facebook, which of course, you know, they are their own separate entities, but they're going to them through this Facebook portal, that they have to be fast too. And so, and, and, and people were like really irritated. And so when Facebook says like, hey, we're going to introduce Facebook instant articles where, you know, New York Times can publish directly to Facebook, not on their own website. This is kind of like a punch in the gut for those companies because, you know, the point of getting people to NewYorkTimes.com is so that you can see the ads and sell the ads. You can't do that on Facebook. But the reason that, like, New York Times and the Ilk are on Facebook now publishing instant articles to Facebook is because Facebook can exert that control and exert that influence. So, like, New York Times wants the Facebook users Facebook has the users, so Facebook can dictate the control. So I got a confession. Until I read this article today, I've never heard of instant articles on Facebook. Have you, have you like, ever, like, in the last, like, few weeks, have you ever, like, tapped a BuzzFeed article? I've I read some the last, oh, wait, no, I was looking at, like, listicles <laughs> on BuzzFeed. No, you might not even, like, think about it, right? Because, like, you're thinking about the content, right? But, like, BuzzFeed was one of the first to join, like, this uh, Facebook Insta Articles program. And so when you're on Facebook on your phone and you flip around and you tap, you know, a BuzzFeed recipe or a BuzzFeed listicle or whatever, it doesn't. You, you can kind of tell if you pay attention. Next time, pay attention. But what BuzzFeed is doing, it rather than going through the motions of a kind of opening an internal web browser, mm-hmm. um, it is just basically like it's almost like a comment or another part of Facebook where the article slides in from the right and it's already preloaded and it's instant. If you had to go to like BuzzFeed.com/listicles or whatever, the um, it wouldn't be that quickly. But you know, like users don't care until like the user exp- or until the speed or the quality of the the website makes itself inconvenient then people care you know oh i think i know why i don't know about this i don't have the facebook app on my phone i just use my chrome browser what? so it it just opens a new tab what cause... who are you <laughs> 
because I don't live on Facebook. Oh slash... my gosh, seventy eight percent of your peers do what? have a Facebook app. <gasps> I have better things to put on my phone. Oh Anyways, my all right, so let's pivot this to the Fang playbook. How does this apply to libraries? Then? Right. So, like you know, made a couple of notes. So, um, Ben Thompson adds that basically for like Fang companies. The key to their success now and their future dominance, right? We have no, we have no, like, get, like we know that like Facebook will persist well into the future, right? That there is is like the key to that is that there is their proximity to customers, their superior user experience, and that really, I mean, you know, they're not the what they are. In another word, is like aggregators. You know, they start with the best customers and they just aggregate the content for it. There's like a there's another article that was similar to this published a few months ago. Um, inspired a post I wrote on uh, LibUX. The article, the original article, is um, by Tom Goodwin and he's from TechCrunch and he wrote the battle is for the customer interface. And so I just kind of ran with it and I wrote a post called um, the library interface and it just kind of like tickled my fancy. And the whole idea is. Uh, I'm just going to read this first paragraph, but it's similar, right? So the fastest growing companies in the world occupy the space between the product and the person. Like Uber doesn't own any vehicles. Facebook doesn't create any media. Airbnb doesn't own any real estate. What they control is the interface. They facilitate access like libraries do, right? And so like what libraries do is like curate like access points to you know the users the patrons and kind of what they want and the most successful library web designs that you know you and i've talked about in previous podcasts with you know sean hannon um in like episode 18 i think uh, high functioning research site we'll link Mm -hmm. to it like the reason that that academic library website is so so successful is because it presents everything that the user wants on the front page without a whole bunch of deep linking, without a whole bunch of furbelow, all the user wants is to get to the content that the library has. They don't care about the library website or anything or, you know, when reading, when you know, when I read this article, when I kind of like suggested it to you for the podcast, I was like, you know, there are quite a lot of similarities between the playbook that the fan companies are going by and opportunities for libraries. We both occupy this space in between what people want and the people themselves that gives libraries a lot of opportunity to exert control over the quality of that user experience you know this is something that libraries have been struggling with i mean you know you hear it nonstop at all these conferences and you see it in some of the literature and in the social media about why do we hand over all the control to our vendors um, who may not always provide the best user experience like, like why aren't we getting our act together and fixing this no that's exactly what it is and you know our we kind of take an approach that isn't lazy but maybe in hindsight will be considered so where we just, you know, we might tell someone like, oh, once they get to the vendor, once they cross through our authentication, then they're in someone else's playground. They're in someone else's sandbox. And you know what? We can't do anything about it. But, you know, we've been talking about, again, like this is, these are just like themes that keep coming up. It's like, like we are in a position of control where we can demand good user experiences, especially since we know how important a quality user experience is to, meeting our business goals even if our you know not our our mission if you don't like to think of libraries as 
you know, in terms of business models. So like what we can do, you know, like we have to realize that a library's greatest commodity is its patron base. The vendors want it, but they need, you know, their current business model requires, they, they need the libraries to get to it. They, they need us. They need they need we who provide the users, who provide the patrons, who provide the tax funds, right? This is an opportunity to really like pivot and become driving forces in these you know decisions rather than I don't know. Um, We're so grateful that you provide us something that we can't do ourselves. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and you know what? The, the, hopefully that will change because you know we understand the role of the user experience now we are increasingly tech savvy many libraries bigger libraries whatever even smaller libraries have access to design and software and open source tools that have increasingly low barrier of entry you know these things the more of these things that exist the less the smaller the carrot that the vendors can dangle <laughs> like um you know like their their wares become less appetizing so then they're going to need to compete not for the product they offer but for the quality of that experience and really you know i think you know we're 15 minutes in these are the takeaways that i have i don't have this is where i think that we you know these are the lessons that we can learn from the fang handbook playbook Okay, so that's pretty much like all that like the takeaways I think we made notes for, but I think this is an opportunity to think and just to get, you know, get the gears a spin in. But I want to take a second to um pivot back to this uh article I mentioned earlier, the the library interface because you know, it's related and I'm really taken by this idea where the quality, you know, the quality of the library user experience, so if we know that we can exert our control on this uh, opportunity at the entry point or whatever, I think, like, the quality of the library user experience, if we look at the library as an interface, like, basically a thing that gets the user from, I don't know, A to C, you know, or the door B or whatever, that that the, that the best designs are those that are, like, the simplest and, and, like, the thinnest layers in between. So I think that we've written... <laughs> No, you laughed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things that you can keep in, you know. Like, uh, so the the reason we're laughing is because we just hemmed and hawed for about three minutes that are going to be cut out of the podcast. But because I'm I'm using this authoritative tone, Amanda's going to keep this part in this explanatory part that says basically we introduced and really covered the takeaways of our topic well under our 30 minute mark so we were thinking about oh what should we do should we add filler Uh, we really kind of scrambled to make the time go but i think we're done i think it's a really interesting concept this thing playbook show notes will be abound with links please visit them um amanda do you have anything you want to say like any final wise words not particularly wise words. This will be going out on Monday, and this today that we're recording is Thursday. If you happen to be on the East Coast, I hope you're, you've managed to dig out by the time you listen to this podcast. I, yeah, I know. There's a crazy cold wave in my neck of the woods. It's going to be about 50 degrees. Oh, no! <laughs> I had to put on a jacket today. And it was the most miserable thing ever. And, you know, like, here's the worst part. So my thermostat in my house is, like, this this wonky little green thermostat that 
I can't heat my house above 71 degrees. So it dropped below 71 inside, and I'm frigid. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get for living in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to rub that in to everybody. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, at least I'm not in D.C. I heard they're going to get worse. All right. So, (laughs) bye, everyone. Bye. Be safe.